Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. I'm Pixels for Breakfast, joined as always by Blue. How's it going, my friend? Less tired this week than last week, but I hear you're tired. Oh, I'm super tired. I've got... If you look at my Trello, I share it in our Discord, and uh, there's this. I have too many reviews, and I just had Haven drop on my doorstep that needs a review, and uh, it's, it, Tom Clancy new season review also out for the new console. So it's just like I don't have enough time for this magical time of gaming that is the post new console time. I I need sleep. Anyway, how how are you been? You been all right? I've been okay. I've been okay. I'm trying to catch up That's on good. rest. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I will rest this weekend, I think. That sounds good. All right, let's crack into the news, and we're going to start off with a bit of Yakuza news because I'm enamored by this series. Mm. Uh, So it was announced this week that Yakuza has cracked 14 million in sales. Lifetime, Uh, across all titles. Lifetime, yeah. Across all titles, that's correct. And Sega has come out admitting that, yes, it's a niche game and marketed at a niche market which makes sense because these games are absolutely insane uh in the report that came out it was said that it sold 11 million of those 14 million copies from 2018 which was the year that yakuza 6 was released in the west and 12 million in 2019 which means that 20 percent of the lifetime sales across 15 years of yakuza games has been in just the last couple of years which is Pretty surprising because that series has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. and I feel like Zero was the real kicking off point where they did that for the West, uh, pr- right? Yeah, for the yeah. West. That's what I mean for the yeah. West. It was the thing where it's like, oh, it's a new engine and it's a brawler, and oh my god, now's the time to get on board this crazy series. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where I got onto this series, mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm definitely not alone there. No. Uh, but yeah, just. You know, not much else to really say about that, just that it's super cool to see it really kick off. And, uh, you know, through the releases of Kiwami and Kiwami 2, and hopefully they continue that uh, timeline, mm. that we'll get to see sort of uh, high-res versions of those older games that, mm. you know, didn't get a lot of attention back in the PS2 era, um, which I'm personally excited to go back to. But that's also a big ask, because these games are definitely a commitment to play through. Yeah. Let, let's, like, really kind of highlight the context of scale here and how small the Yakuza series' um, ambitions really are. Because 14 million is a crap ton of copies, right? But, you know, across quite a number of titles. And for most games, like, 90% of games, a million per title is absurd. Like, that's crazy high. But then you have the other end of the spectrum where, like, Square Enix on some of their titles, they consider a million a failure. Uh, I think the notable one in this case is... Yeah, I'm just, like, highlighting. The notable one in this case was Tomb Raider. I think Shadow of the Tomb Raider was notably a underperformer. And that was easily over a million copies to that title. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just about to look this up, actually. Mm. Uh, they said uh, Marvel's Avengers, which was the most yeah. uh, recent game from that studio, sold yeah. 3 million copies, and yeah. they said that's a loss of $63 million. Yeah, so, like, um, please appreciate how amazing the Yakuza series is, because this is this is the benchmark that we're dealing with here. It's like, they're outperforming their sales by, uh, like, insane numbers, like, sales estimates by insane numbers in terms of their market research. And these numbers are high. They're, don't get me wrong, they're high. They're in the millions, but like when when Marvel's event when when the Marvel name can only pull in three million copies, 
and that's underperforming? Oh, man, we live in a weird world. I also think that that's just... It's funny that you bring this up. I was thinking about this literally yesterday. Mm-hmm. Square Enix, I feel like, uh, always out there um, talking about how game franchises that are under their control mm-hmm. don't meet sales expectations. You already yep. said Tomb Raider, yep. um, which was Crystal Dynamics who did end up making the Marvel Avengers game. Yep. There's Marvel Avengers most recently. There was yep. the Hitman series, which actually... Yep. Had them drop IO Interactive, mm-hmm. which I think is the best thing for the studio because now they own the rights to the Hitman franchise yep. and are making great content. And those games sold pretty well. Yep. Those games had a lot of buzz. Yep. I do wonder if it is part A, they're dumping in way too much budget into their games. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but B, um, is it just inflated expectations based on Final Fantasy numbers? Like they have this mega franchise that's been around for years that mm-hmm. sells to like a huge audience so then mm. everything else they do in comparison is a failure in their eyes like i'm not entirely sure maybe that's just a gut feeling i don't know numbers here yeah um but i also wonder on the uh, flip side like square make kingdom hearts right yes like that's a popular but still quite a niche title i wonder what the sales figures are for those games particularly I, I, the the newer releases i think kingdom hearts is successful i can only imagine three was extremely successful because of like the massive build up of it a lot of fans didn't want to get into the extended universe quote unquote and because you know in terms of mainline two to three it's like over a decade there's like so much in between but like kingdom hearts 2 to kingdom hearts 3 is over a decade long and i think there were more than a few people who just held off yeah square square is definitely a company and a publisher that puts a lot of expectations on the titles especially the titles that they decide to throw their marketing strength behind and it's hard it's hard to like convey how much of a juggernaut in Japan Square Enix is. Like they mm-hmm. they seem like another player in the game internationally. But in Japan Square Enix is only like dwarfed by Nintendo. <laughs> like, you know, like and literally only because Nintendo has control over their own console and like th- those beloved IPs. Square Enix is the company that brings in Call of Duty into Japan. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of hard to overstate how gigantic they are. So it, it kind of makes sense how high their expectations are. But I 100% agree. And it's something I've been saying for a long time that a lot of people have too inflated an expectation of what they should get out of a video game in terms of the sales numbers uh, from the business perspective of things. It's like, to be a success, it has to be this. And it's like, no, you're, you're hitting it wrong. It's not just about sales. It's about how much money you put in budget to the revenue that you receive, right? Budget to copies moved. and yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of that, yeah, because it's so efficient for that kind of stuff, which is crazy because it's I can't imagine the creative like side of it being anything but inefficient because you're creating so much story for a full price game, like one full price game. There, there's how many games in there worth of story, you know? Yeah, and I mean that's that's the interesting thing. Here. Like I'm just looking here at Kingdom Hearts three sales, and they shipped out five million copies worldwide. That doesn't mean that they sold five million copies. Yeah, but that's- yeah, but then on the other side of the spectrum, you have something like GTA Five, which sold like two hundred fifty million copies in its first G- year or something. GTA like, ridiculous. G- yeah, uh, I think we like very briefly touched on this last week, where we kind of said Rockstar has its own marketing environment, and that is completely separate. It has its own marketing hype. It handles all of that itself. Rockstar is insane. And honestly, my heart sank when I first heard of how much budget went into GTA Five because I knew it was going to be a success. 
and it was going to be this benchmark that publishers like like not not publishers but like executives could point at and say yeah they put in uh close to 300 million us dollars into um gta 5 and look how successful it is and then expect that kind of success when you just throw that money at someone no studio like very yeah. few studios around the world can actually live up to that pressure if money is thrown at them like here's the crazy thing you throw money at a studio it does not mean they make a better game yeah exactly it just means they take longer to make it <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> and, and and they're terrified like all the executives will be terrified because so much money is now on the line and they have so much responsibility because no studio can say no thank you we don't want 50 million from you just give us 10 like yeah. no studio will be able to say that <laughs> yeah it's I mean, this is this is for an entire separate podcast. Sure. <laughs> it is. But there, there yeah. is something to be said for game design by committee and, yeah. and game design by investment rather than... I think that's why we see a lot... It's kind of like... And, you know, I know this comparison's made a lot, but it's kind of like um, big blockbuster movies mm. and indie art house films, which yeah. the indie art house film is essentially dead these days because yes. movies are costing so much to make that you have to bank on what everyone knows and what you know that they like because that will get your budget back and hopefully turn a profit mm. rather than trying to push the boundaries of doing something new and exciting. And, yep. you know, that's that's where we are with game development right now and have been for quite a while. And we're in this cycle where a lot of the studios, uh, and I use the term studio lightly because a lot of the time it's one or two people, mm-hmm. make something that's unique and interesting and pushes the boundaries and then they automatically take that and scale up to a double double a studio almost and then yep. we we're getting into this weird territory of well uh what is an indie game because an, is an indie game just fitting into the mold of uh, it's a metroidvania like mm. a lot of that is happening mm. you know oh you're making a roguelike that's about trains this time or something you know like did you add trading into- cards to your game you certain not trading did you add cards to your game yeah, maybe you're an indie yeah. game now yeah like yeah exactly and you know that's that's a cycle thing and you know it is I don't expect every game to be pushing boundaries because like I want, you know, I like Slay the Spire. So I'm really glad that something like Monster Train and Ring of Ring yep. of Pain exist because they're both very good games that do different takes on that. Um, and that's awesome because I want more of that content. Like it's not a bad thing. It's just definitely something to keep in mind that we don't start ruling by popular trends or investments mm. into smaller companies and all that sort of stuff. But For sure. Here we go. Brief insights. We can move on now. Moving on to a bit of just fun news here. So back in the day, Philips released a console called the CDI. And it was one of those consoles that just had a handful of games on it. In a time where things like the Atari Jaguar and things like that could exist. Mm -hmm. And on the CDI, there were a handful of Nintendo games on there. And uh, two of them have been remade by an amateur video game developer. Now, I haven't played these games. Uh, but both of these games are based on the Legend of Zelda franchise, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not considered by Nintendo to be part of the official series and were precursors to, uh, the CDI game Zelda's adventure and historians and fans basically say these are the worst Zelda games of all time. Have you played either of these? Have you watched videos of these? I have before? watched videos of all three games, I believe at this point. And to give you an idea of some of the some of the gameplay in this, I believe there is a mini boss encounter. I think in Zelda's Adventure, I think, where you're supposed to stab something like 280 times or something like that, and there's like no like hurt animation, no real sound playing. You you just have to do it, and you just have to know that it's the right thing. It takes like minutes to do this fight, 
with no proper feedback, not even knowing if you're doing it right to kill the thing. Like, that's Sounds the kind of fun. game design we're talking about here. Uh, oh, and I want to add, you think of Philips, you think of you know electronics, like TVs, right? I think of my electric riser, yeah. I believe that the controller for the CDI is like a kind of remote-looking thing. Yeah, I can't... I'm going to have to look that up, because I, I have looked at the CDI before. I, I did almost buy one at once. Yeah, it looks, like a, it looks like a TV remote control. I just, like, Googled it. It looks like a... It's very weird. Ah, uh, yes, yes, this thing, yes. Yeah, yeah you, I've, uh... heard, I've heard it controls atrociously. Yeah, I can imagine. It looks... Uh, yeah, that's a bad time. <laughs> that's a bad time. It should not be used for games. <laughs> but, At least but... Nintendo got something back for them and uh, made the remote Wiimote, I guess. The Wii, yeah, yeah. But but the good the good thing about all of this is yeah, this remake um, applies modern sensibilities. It adjusts the gameplay. Um, so so they say. Neither of us have actually played it. Uh, it adjusts yeah. the gameplay and brings it more in line to, you know, not so bad. Because the art in it is genuinely kind of interesting. It's almost um, FMV game kind of art. Like, yeah, fully hand-drawn, animated for most of it. Um, it kind of pulls in the, a bit of the art style that was used in uh, uh, A Link to the Past, the comic book yeah. from back in the early 90s. It's very much kind of like Dragon's Quest meets that art style, super mm. cool stuff. And the cutscenes um, are definitely inspired by the Zelda cartoon from the 80s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The developer's name is Dopley on Twitter, and he said that he just wanted to prove to himself that he could make the game. It started out as a joke between friends, but then I wanted to see if I could actually pull it off. I flirted with game making for a while, but never finished something. This was my chance to do that. Well, over the course of four years, I guess. Over time, remastered versions of these notorious titles was something I wanted for myself as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of funny that it started out as a joke, but then this person actually had some reverence uh, for the work that he was on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. These, uh, but the, these the, also stand as some interesting titles because two of the three feature Zelda as the main character. Yeah, which exactly. Is rare in the Legend of Zelda franchise. Um. And in perfect Nintendo fashion, I actually tried to download this yesterday uh, while I was researching the story mm -hmm. and uh, gone. The links are gone. So <laughs> uh, I I'm sure they'll be circulating around on the internet. Uh, but I'm, more I'm than likely, has been hit by a season this is at this point. Yeah. yeah. But super cool that someone took these Absolutely. games that have largely been forgotten and talked about kind of in the same realm as like, you know, the Star Wars holiday special as yeah. being like the worst train wrecks and uh, remade them with, as you said, modern sensibilities. So just, just a cool little thing. I almost think that these, depending on, I would love to like get my hands to play some of these at some point. I almost think that these would be like really good um, think pieces around um, game design courses. Mm -mm. Just... What was then, what was now, what do you bring forward, how does that work, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Could be super cool. And uh, well done to Dopley. I, I, hope, I hope you don't get, into any, don't get into any trouble for this. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I can uh, try and get them for a uh, dev brunch. Yeah, that could stream. be cool. That'd that be could be very cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, Dead Cells is getting a second paid expansion. Uh, it's going to be launching early next year for PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. And it's called the Fatal Falls expansion. It's going to be bringing in a bunch of new enemies, some new weapons, some new biomes. 
uh, which will be the first time that we're stepping outside of the castle walls. You'll be hanging out at the fractured shrines and the undying shores. Teaser looks really good. Looks like more dead cells uh, with a different color palette and the environments look super interesting. Um, it's going to cost $4.99 US dollars. Uh, and yeah, like Motion Twin has been like just dropping bits and bobs of content here and there since the game came out, which it came out last year. I think it got out of early access. Yep. Um, and it's been like substantial content that they've been offering for free. They released the Bad Seed DLC a little while ago. I believe um, in January added... of 2020, thereabouts. Yeah, there you go. So they dropped that uh, DLC, which added a new biome and a boss that I still haven't managed to beat yet, mm-hmm. uh, which I you know want to get back to that at some point. But they also uh, confirmed that they're going to be dropping some new DLC for the PC version uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be adding new weapon, mob, a lore room, which I really like the sort of allusion to lore that Dead Cells has. So I'm mm. super keen to see what that is. Uh, a diet option, which I don't know what that means. Uh, plus a bunch of new skins for, for the hero. Um, so yeah, it's, they've also committed to uh, providing content for the game for at least one more year, which is pretty wild because usually when a roguelike is finished, it's just done and dusted. Um, but they keep dropping, you know, meaningful free updates to their community. Yep. Uh, so, you know, if even if they released another three or four paid DLC at like five bucks a pop for the amount of hours that I've dumped into that game. And it's one of the few games like I finish a roguelike and I never go back to it. I don't really care about finding everything or doing everything like Dead Cells is the one that I constantly come back to Dead mm-hmm. Cells and Slay the Spire. So, um, yeah, if anyone who hasn't played Dead Cells and likes platform roguelike hardcore games i definitely recommend checking it out um it's very satisfying yeah it's it's super satisfying it's got such a good flow i will say it's a bit hardcore at first like unlike other roguelikes where i find that you usually have a burst of this is hard but i'm unlocking a lot of cool stuff Mm -hmm. this is the opposite it's hard and you're not unlocking a huge amount of stuff uh, yeah but then you kind of get to the mid game and that's where it starts to really because "Ah, okay i get the flow yeah because you need the resources from actually at least getting to mid rooms. And if you're not good enough to yeah. get to mid rooms with a lot of resources, you're not actually progressing the meta progression. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's interesting. I think people do bounce off it um a little bit, but for those who stick around, like you very rarely hear people say they don't like the game once they've yep. really sunk their teeth into it. So um now the I guess bigger news in quotation marks, because there's not really news here, is uh Rumors have resurfaced that Halo Infinite will be getting a free-to-play Battle Royale mode coming next year. Um, This started going out on Twitter, and it's actually based on a Reddit post that arrived in October and a series of tweets um, that said that 343 has wanted to make this Battle Royale unlike any to come before it, and there are some big, and I mean big, plans from this. My understanding is this has come from a reliable source who has leaked uh quite a lot of verified information of halo products in the past um that tweet has been deleted but there are caged versions of it out there the difference is now that these rumors have resurfaced a few months later 343 has actually made a statement Uh, community manager brian gerard has come onto twitter and said nothing gets a post-holiday monday going like a fresh unfounded halo infinite rumor by the way yes i'm aware that we could solve this with real news, we certainly have some things we're overdue on and eager to talk about. We're in the process of pulling together a year-end update. 
Now, blue, that's not no. <laughs> that, to me, sounds that's... like we're not ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. I also think they're trying um, to curb expectations. Yep, that too. It, like, for me... Know, people what... might look at this and expect a 100-man battle royale, and maybe what they're planning internally is like a 30-60 man one or something like that. Yeah. What I, like... I like Halo multiplayer. Granted, I haven't played it for a few years, but, you know, it's always that kind of... I don't have to think about it, and it's fun. And if they are opening up a big battle space, like they seem to be in what they showed uh, during that gameplay session, like it looked like a significant world. Like I could see a battle royale working in that universe. That could be interesting, especially with where Halo 5 was going with adding like objective game modes and stuff. Like I mix all that together, you could have something really cool um and it's already got the vehicles right like it makes a lot of sense it does but what makes sense to me and adds credibility to this is the xbox series x as much as i love it it doesn't have a flagship title Mm -hmm. halo was its flagship title and it slipped so it makes sense to me that they are keen to get something out there and the way that they could do that is by releasing a free-to-play multiplayer mode with a campaign coming later uh, and the uh, as part of this uh, rumor mill here from the same leaker, what was said is that they're looking to actually do Halo Infinite like they d- have done with the Master Chief collection. Okay. Uh, which is Halo Infinite is the wrapper and you're going to get like your multiplayer and they're going to keep it and update it for four years with four different campaigns dropping over that time. Very interesting. Uh which A, makes sense for the name. People for ages have been thinking like, what does Halo Infinite even mean? How are mm-hmm. they doing it? How would they do a live service game? Well, that's how they, they're doing it. Mm. That's actually been part of the strategy of rolling out the Master Chief Collection piecemeal for PC is to test that. What mm. happens when we are dropping stuff constantly? How does that affect our servers? Now that's speculation for sure, but that's mm-hmm. what I've seen floating around. Sure. But all of a sudden, all of this stuff kind of makes sense. And as I said, once you piece that together with Xbox doesn't have a flagship title for their new console, I can see them dropping, even if it's not the free-to-play Battle Royale, I can definitely see some form of just, here's some new Halo multiplayer with more coming later in the year. Mm. Um, So speculation for sure, but they haven't said no, and I'm hoping that we'll hear a little bit more towards the end of the year. This is an interesting one to me because Halo has the decision of do we go to Deathmatch or do we go to Battle Royale? Because I think it's more known for Deathmatch. Like, people's fond nostalgic memories of Halo multiplayer are the Deathmatch. And as Master Chief Collection has shown, people really like the Halo Deathmatch. You know, like, either solo or team Deathmatch, yeah. Yeah, it will be interesting too because I do think that for a lot of players... uh that nostalgia and skill ceiling is extremely high. So having a new game mode that, you know, people aren't so familiar with could be advantageous to get new players on board. Yeah. I mean, I I can definitely see it as, well, the Battle Royale is free to play because you need the numbers. But if you want that deathmatch and team modes and all that fun sort of forge stuff, you definitely have to buy the product at that point. You could do something like what Nintendo does, which is bundle it into... Because you need online for it anyway, right? Nintendo gives away Tetris 99 and Mario 35 if you get Nintendo online. It could just be that part of your Xbox um, Game Pass, live Game Pass, you get access to this as a multiplayer. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, 100% of um, all, of, all of Microsoft's first-party games will be coming to Game Pass day one anyway. So. But, yeah, but what I mean is that when you get the online pass... You just, like, 
they bundle it in in a way that yeah but i couldn't play it without online anyway you know like that kind of deal so yeah 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 totally, totally. yeah so it is quote unquote free but they still get the money from you for being online yeah i don't when i think about like comments like halo doing something big for battle royale like i can't envision in my head what something big for that genre will be like there are different takes on it for sure and halo yeah. would be a very different take i but think that's I don't all they think... mean I... yeah there's not I, I cannot think of some sort of mechanic that is drastically going to change how we look at that genre uh i personally really love battle royale games like i really love battle royale games and i I've come down to the reason why I like them is because I can drop in and drop out and it doesn't matter if I don't have time to play them for four weeks. I can yep. just drop in because that's just how it is. It's over nice and quick and it's a finite experience. Sure. Um, and I would totally sign on board for a Halo version of that and play it regularly and be happy with it. But I don't know about transforming a genre that's still well, kind of finding remember what Halo did to shooters. It added regenerative health. That yeah. would be very different in a battle royale setting. Yeah, that would be true. That I don't know if it's true. genre defining, but if you're talking about shaking things up a bit, that's a direction people haven't gone yet, like sustainability in yeah. in a battle royale. So I don't know, maybe. Yep. Yeah, I could also see some sort of like ground wall mode where instead of just the circle always pushing you in, like maybe they do something different with that. Um that's always been know. my go-to for like adjusting battle royales, but I don't feel like that's where most people say they want innovation. You can't change much in a genre before people bounce off it. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's where the Ubisoft one. What was it called? Hyperscape. Hyperscape. I feel like that's where Hyperscape was like uh, trying to balance on that line already that I think that Hyperscape already looked a bit different enough and felt a bit different enough that a lot of Battle Royale players were bouncing off it because Hyperscape has more of a TDM feel versus a Battle Royale yeah. feel. Yeah. Well, it has TDM as its mode right now. Well, there you go. You know, like, <laughs> so. from everything I've heard, it would appeal to TDM players. And, like, you know, for those not in the shooter space, you're like, but it's a first-person shooter. TDM plays drastically different from almost any other shooter type out there. And in the same vein, Battle Royale plays drastically different from most traditional first-person shooter multiplayers out there. Uh, and yeah, you, you do capture that feel when you try to make these games. So it's not easy to just go, we'll change things up. Apex hit a sweet spot, in my opinion, for that. Because it's fast, but it's still very deliberate like a Battle Royale. And then when you're good at it, you can do TDM shenanigans. Yeah. I think what really I like Hyperscape, um, mm. just because of its setting and its feel, and like I really like Apex too. That's probably my favorite standard mm. battle royale out there. Mm. But um, Hyperscape feels like Quake. Its verticality, yeah, is just too. The skill ceiling on that is much much higher than like anyone can drop into Warzone or Apex, and like they might not be the best player, but they can understand it and be proficient yep. like you have to be good to get anywhere in hyperscape and yep. i think that's its biggest failing they yeah they actually dedicated a like they took complexity away from guns and added that complexity back into movement and when you add complexity yeah. to movement games become crazy when you do that i'm thinking of tribes you know like tribes is an insane oh. game and tribes is the is the successor to unreal tournament oh god unreal tournament games you know like 
These yeah. are wild TDM games uh, at a speed that's unlike most other games we see today. Like very few multiplayer shooters play at those speeds anymore because too many people bounce off of it. Yeah. Uh, you just can't put that much money in to make it look good, and you need a lot of money to make games look good nowadays. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know what Halo Infinite's gonna do. We don't even know if it's gonna be a battle royale, but. I'd be willing to to say yes, but I guess we'll find out next year. Uh, now, this is a bit of... This isn't news. This isn't news, but it's interesting. Uh, so, Patrick Klepik, aka The Scoops, over at Vice Gaming, uh, got a hold of a Sony report, an internal Sony report for developers, that has kind of shed some light around how Sony views single-player games. So, it's been you know, claimed for years that single player gaming is dying. Everything's going to live service. Everything's all about multiplayer games, which is certainly what we're hearing. Uh, But when speaking about the activities feature on the PS5, they talk a lot about this service and single player games and uh, explores how they can make single player gaming better for, for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just going to read some of the lines here now to protect uh, his sources. He wasn't able to show these screenshots because it would reveal who his source was and ruin their relationship with Sony. But anyway, the, the, the quotes here are in an ideal world, every player has the time to spend hours per day, every day playing games. In reality, most people have jobs or kids or school or all of the above. Often free time comes wedged between other obligations. So Sony is actually coming out and saying that single player games are a lot more popular than people think they are. So they have aimed to streamline uh, the single player experience for the PS5. And that is why their activity feature lets you hop around between quests in certain games. Mm -hmm. So the example that I've heard now, I don't have a PS5 is uh, Astrobot. People seeing their friends beat their, their time trial times and then they just press the button and it takes them directly to that time trial so they can within 10 seconds be trying to post a better time right so that's sort of how this activity feature works and then certain games will let you jump between quests and stuff in games uh so the reason that they've done that is so players can tackle the game in the order and time frame that they want that they're able to do so uh as a time management uh process they are calling chunking which i don't know about that name but basically uh they're trying to redefine how Busy people interact with games. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I could never really see myself jumping into a single-player game for five minutes. Like, I'm the opposite. I play multiplayer games when I don't have time. Yep. Um, But I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's interesting to at least see a company realize something and try and tackle it in an interesting way. Yeah. I don't know if this is the right approach, but it's interesting. The the phrasing of this... Um, was interesting to me because in my from my perspective, Sony has had this is um if, if Sony's basing this data off their own collection, right? This is a bit of um self like positive biasing. Uh, Sony has always had a mass a much bigger focus on uh single player games on the PlayStation, and oh wow, our PlayStation seems to have more focus on single player games you know like one of those things like think about yeah, yeah, yeah. the the juggernauts of the playstation last of us um uh, horizon coming up is the new horizon uh like the jack and daxter it's 
it's not surprising that Sony is in the single-player focus mode, uh, especially with a new console, Spider-Man. Um, what is important here is that they are designing systems on the back end to support this and that they are encouraging developers to think about how to how to approach getting back into the game from the outside and one of the things in the in the report as well is sometimes people just forget where they are in a game if it's a story based one you're like i want to go back to it I don't even remember what I was doing the past like three hours. Uh, and then you bounce off it, you know? Yeah, so if yeah. they're trying to improve that aspect of it, power to them. That is a hard thing to do. That's why um, a lot of games nowadays... Oh, actually, that's a lie. I, I'm trying to remember the last game I saw this, but The Witcher? Yeah, The Witcher has mm-hmm. The Witcher 3 has a the story so far in the loading screen when you come back in. You know, to remind you where you are in the story, and it gives you a brief summary of the last things that Geralt did, um, not the side yeah. quest stuff, but the main quest stuff, stuff like that. So it makes sense from that perspective. Um, but no, this is in line. Like Sony is the PlayStation is a very big RPG machine, whether it's like Western style God of War, um, you know, active RPGs or more Yakuza style RPGs, which is not strictly a playstation exclusive anymore but you get what i mean it's like the playstation has always been an rpg engine the playstation name the vita is an amazing rpg engine um whether it's visual novels or more traditional like turn-based rpgs it's great for that um getting the ps5 into a state where you can do that is cool i think the interesting thing is that that example that you mentioned if like oh if someone beats my time trial that is single player stuff for sure but in a very multiplayer context, right? Like, time trial yeah. running is... I don't consider that a single-player aspect of a game. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm, I was just using that as the example I've heard of. Because, no, like, for sure. also, there aren't a huge amount of games using this feature at launch, because there aren't a yeah. huge amount of games at launch, right? Yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting to try to... It feels like part of it is to give single player games a bit more of a social hey i'm up to here where are you at how are you feeling about this you know like as opposed to just the old school one which is just hey you were this far in the game do you want to go back to it uh which is cool giving people ways to jump back into story games are so long even even a 20 hour game is tremendously long for an average adult Yes, it is. Blue. It's it's, so, it's so much time uh, that most of the working friends I have just won't have to sink into it. I am an exception to this. I make time for games. That is what I do with my free time, right? That is a big priority in my life. Casual players, they're, they're like, I can play games anytime. I'd rather go out and watch a movie with friends or, you know, whatever. Obviously, this year makes things a bit different, but putting effort into trying to bridge that gap of like how do we make it easier for them for pe- for players to commit free time i think that's the kind of like um angle that sony's trying to take here which makes sense yeah it'll be interesting to see how it pans out you know obviously these both of these consoles are going to morph and change as as development continues on and as mm-hmm. people tap into at a system level what they're going to do mm-hmm. um their points of difference will also be interesting because a lot of smaller developers won't 
go heavy into one system if they're releasing on multiple yep. platforms because Edge it takes bits. up more resources. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. We'll every, see how it goes. Every console has features that you don't even remember it had that will just die away with time because it doesn't get used. The activity like sweet the... touchpad. Like yeah, sweet touchpad on the PS4. The, you know, the the button that you never touch and you just use for open map screens or whatever. That, that, yeah, that you hate when the game makes it the inventory button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the activity speed exists on the PS4. It's just out of the way and no one looks at it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have gamers like me that never look at any social aspect of the consoles. But I know <laughs> I'm in the minority there. Mm. <laughs> Um, moving on to a quick bit here. Sea of Thieves is going to be moving towards a seasonal model coming in line with other live service games. Uh, each, uh, each season will launch with a major content update and last for three months. And this will be starting in January. Uh, it'll also allow people to reach the uh, pirate renown level of 100 every season before resetting. Um, which, you know, I actually would probably get me to play more Sea of Thieves. The problem that of why I don't play Sea of Thieves right now is all of my friends have played a lot of Sea of Thieves uh, and has seen, have seen everything and I've seen nothing and I don't know how anything works. And then I end up just sitting on a boat while they're like running around doing all this stuff that I don't understand how to take part in, um, mm. which I still have a lot of fun. But the idea of, okay, new season started, we're all experiencing something new together would be super cool. Mm. Um. They also announced that they'll be launching a plunder pass because, of course, they are. With the um, no price has been revealed for that, but you'll be getting special items and uh, you'll have exclusives in the Pirate Emporium store so you can buy a pass to have the privilege of buying more stuff. Um, and then probably the interesting part from our perspective here, Blue, is that Rare revealed that they will not be doing any more development on the PvP arena mode and stated that over 97% of Sea of Thieves' playtime is spent on adventure mode, so they're not going to be putting any more resources into it. Super interesting. I didn't think that number would be so high, um, but I guess a lot of people like just sailing around exploring stuff in Sea of Thieves. So. Yeah. Sea of Thieves is about shenaniganry. Yeah, I love that game. I, I typically don't like sandbox games, but I really like Sea of Thieves. Well, Sea of Thieves is a co-op sandbox game, and that really makes it different. In in a way, you yeah. can play a co-op sandbox, right? Like, it's yeah, it's sure. not about dicking around. It's about dicking around with your friends. And that's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, something we just discussed a little while ago, Blue. It might have been last episode. It might not have been on an episode. Our conversations all blur into one. But Casey Hudson, Bioware studio lead, and Dragon Age producer Mark Dara have both retired from Bioware. Uh, so this just happened last night, mm-hmm. um, but basically posts were put on the Bioware blog from each, uh, both sharing very similar sentiments. Hudson stated, I'm incredibly fortunate to have had the career where I've been able to work with brilliantly talented people, create entire worlds from our imaginations and seeing them enjoyed by millions of people around the world. And now after nearly 20 years of work at Bioware, I've made the decision to retire from the studio and make way for the next generation of studio leaders. Now, this would be the second time that Hudson has left the studio. He left after Mass Effect 3 and came back, I think, partway through development of Andromeda. Andromeda. Perhaps it was after Andromeda. Um, Then Dara from Dragon Age writes, 
More than anything, I am thankful for the ability to have touched so many lives, to have given people a chance to explore themselves through our games. I like to think I've helped make some of your lives better. I hope that I'm right. I don't know what's next for me, but I'm excited to find out, just as I'm excited to find out what Dragon Age has now become. Mm -hmm. Now, given Mass Effect Andromeda didn't do well, and Anthem was just a colossal failure, this doesn't exactly bode well for the studio, especially when Casey Hudson was supposed to be coming back to write the ship. We do know that Mass Effect Remastered Trilogy is on the way, and that there's a new Mass Effect game in the works. Doesn't really bode well that he's walked away yet again. Um, I yeah. do think it's interesting the wording, particularly on Hudson's posts and also EA's comments that he has retired from the studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Retire is a very strange word. Yeah, it's a very strange word. Uh, I believe he said um, that he is going on to find his creative mojo, basically, and start working on something new. Oh, that sounds familiar, huh? Out of Bioware, huh? Yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, so maybe he's going to start a craft beer website. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> e- EA is less of a publisher and more of a graveyard for game IPs at this point. <laughs> yeah. and I, I don't like throwing shade at anyone in this industry because it's really hard. It's really hard to get anywhere in this industry. But so many titles have crashed and burned under EA. That yeah, it's, it's, it's very discouraging. It's very easy to get on the, haha, how much do we hate EA? They're the worst company in the world. Haha, mm. bandwagon. Um, but there are just some decisions at that powerhouse that just don't make a lot of sense. And you hear a lot of horror stories. And that's not to say that horror stories aren't happening at other studios. I mean, look at CD yep. Project Red right now. Yep. But yep. Uh, look at Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, but, yeah, it does seem a little odd, especially because Bioware was such a huge bastion of RPGs. game development in general, specifically RPG. Like, it was the voice of, it was the face of Western RPGs, sorry, is what I meant, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they did some of their best work under the EA banner with Mass Effect. They did. So it's not they like yeah. EA bought them and it all went to pieces. No, not immediately. It's, yeah. Yeah. But Very it does feel like um, all of the leadership have just slowly been spat out is what it feels like all of this is speculation we don't know what the inside looks like we don't know what people working there feel like every day and maybe it's not as grim as we think it is but the picture that we have gotten via press via you know journalism via reports of people leaving is that it's a pretty grim prospect at the moment there and that it's kind of just not that unexpected um hats off to all of the bioware ips i hope you get the respect you deserve and are not run into the ground because that that's the thing about ea as well is that we see them attempt to quote unquote revive ips and it, it has very rarely gone well command and conquer i'm looking at you you deserved better on the way out you know like westwood yeah. westwood studios had an amazing ip there and uh it doesn't exist anymore it just doesn't you know i mean i am kind of grateful for that because commander conquer's failings meant greg kasavin went off to supergiant and now look what we get out of them so. for sure for sure <laughs> yeah, and I like get what you mean not all of it's bad right red alert 3 has an amazing single player campaign and that was under ea's time i think yeah because 
Oh my god, Red Alert 3, what a game. Um, but yeah, no. I, I'm a bit saddened to hear more people being spat out by the machine that is the games industry. It's not a kind industry at all. But also, I wish them all the best. Please take care of yourselves, because, oh, it's not worth it. Like, no IP, no studio is worth sacrificing your own mental sanity. Yeah, absolutely. And that about does it for the news this week. So uh, things are starting to slow down just a little bit as we head towards the end of the year. But um, yeah, you know, some, some movements this week, some good stuff. Have you been playing anything, Blue? I've been playing some of the stuff I've been playing in the past weeks. So more Deep Rock, more Minecraft, slowly cobbling together a cool island base. Um, more Magic, more Magic Gathering Arena. It's always a good time. I jumped into the Minecraft server. If anyone listening to this wants to, join our Discord. And you can also jump into the Pixels of Breakfast Minecraft server. Because Macrobat added Vivecraft. So I jumped on there in VR and uh, died to a skeleton immediately. Um, I saw some sort of glass building with a chest that had blue things in it. That said, if you want more blue things, talk to blue. Yeah. And I saw Braxel's windmill, and then I died. Braxel's windmill is very fancy and very impressive. Yeah. Um, Uh, But I am looking forward to spending some more time on there. I'll give you a tour if you let me know when you're on. Yeah, please do. In the virtual realm, I shall appear. Mm. I had... Let's see. I I already bashed Phoenix Rising in our last podcast, so we don't (laughs) need to go into that. Yep. Um, yeah. So I finished that and I got back to the game I really wanted to review, which was Stirring Abyss. Mm. Uh, I'll actually be editing that video when this podcast goes out. Stirring Abyss is like deep, man. <laughs> like, I'm. It's wild. I'm excited to, because I've read, I've read I, spoilers behind the scenes. I've read the script of the of the review. Sounds amazing. Sounds like a really good time. It was super unexpected. It was one of those games, like, um, it popped up in my, like, you may like feed, like, keep Mm. an eye on this, um, because I, like, had bought Fae Tactics recently, and it was this Lovecraft XCOM game, basically. That's what it looked like. From a publisher I'd never heard of. Tiny little publisher. Uh, They do a bunch of, like, realistic war strategy games. That's Mm. kind of what they do. Um. But, you know, I reached out because I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll give this a go. Like, I reach out for a bunch of games because, you know, you never know who's going to come back. And they came back to me with a code, so I downloaded it. And, like, I went in thinking, oh, this will be okay. And this game just got stuck in my brain. Like, Mm. the whole time I was playing Phoenix and hating it, I was just thinking I wish I could be reviewing Stirring Abyss right now. Um, So, to set it up, basically, it's, it's a really hardcore tactics game that's based on Lovecraft lore. It's actually based off the short story, The Temple, which was published in 1925. Um, And it's basically, you are a US Navy officer on the USS Salem, which is a submarine that gets pulled down into the bottom of the ocean. You're flung out of the submarine, you and another crewmate, uh, and you slowly make your way back to the sub to see that it's still floating, but everything's kind of flooded. And from there, the game starts. And it's basically broken down into two aspects. There's the sort of management aspect where you're building out, like you're pumping water out of the submarine. Which yeah, will you're, you're, your, subs, 
it is in one piece, but it's flooded. Yeah, and you have limited power, right? So yeah. like five out of twenty-four, and to pump out a room is like four power. So mm. you pump out a room, and oh, you found a bunch of scrap in that room, and it's like the mess hall, which means that you can, if you have food supplies, you can cook meals for your mm. for your crew. Or it's an empty room that then you can convert into like a series of rooms, whether it's like a medical bay or um, you know, very XCOM, like the XCOM reboot where you're building out your base, right? Yeah, it's very much that. Uh, but it's on a submarine. Uh, and then there's the expedition side where you're going out and you'll be finding objectives. Like basically the main story progression is always like, I'm going out into the unknown. We're trying to find some supplies. And then uh, we found X, Y, Z. Things are happening. You'll occasionally stumble upon like these big underwater radio stations where you are like, you you find out that there's a uh, Soviet crew that's been there before you and you'll be f- hearing about all the terrifying things that are happening to them. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, these terrifying Lovecraft tentacle monsters are coming to kill you uh, and you keep pressing on. Yep. Um, it's hard. Like, it's brutally hard. It, like, I've played quite a lot of tactics games and like, I'm by no means an expert at them, but, you know, I'm competent enough at them. Even on easy mode, this game just slams you constantly. Like, it was actually a little frustrating. Um, There is a narrative mode, which dumbs down everything completely so you can have the story. And I must say, the story is really good. Mm. Um, Like, there's plenty of, you know, stuff to draw on because it's Lovecraft, right? But it's just very well written and suits the mood of the game perfectly. Yeah. and, you know, everything about this game, nothing about it is, like, outstanding, where you're like, oh, my God, that is, like, gold standard for the genre now. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen all of this before, but it just does it so well within its confines. And the way that it has, like, your um, your your management side, whether it's the submarine or your resources or upgrading your crewmates so they get extra powers managing their sanity like everything is tied to management where every decision no matter how small will potentially have a huge impact on what plays out um there are these randomly generated side quests right which once again you have to use power to do an extra scan on the map and then it'll pop up like oh here's like a quest where you'll go it's a salvage quest so you'll go there and you'll have like 15 turns to find 10 salvage chests while surviving against the enemies or here's a crewmate one where you go out and you'll find a new crewmate that you can bring on board but then if you lose your crewmates while you're out on that quest then you're down like two crewmates or something um and that's where the frustration came for me like my first playthrough uh i was maybe like two or three hours into the game and i'd lost a couple of crewmates and i didn't have enough power to hit the sonar to find a crewmate quest and even if I did, there's no guarantee it's going to be a crewmate quest when I hit that. Um, to the point where I was, then was stuck in a story mission and I just could not progress because I only had two people on the field and I was just getting my ass handed to me. Mm. Um, so I had to walk away from it for a little while and then I came back and restarted the game and took a very different approach where I was playing very slowly, very tactically. Um, and I, I got much further you know, through that. But... Yep. That is the one downfall. It is hard. It is very, very, very hard. As I said, even on easy mode, it's just like, nah, you have no, 
you have no way that you're going to complete this. Um, and I think that's the bouncing off point for a lot of people. But if you're really into the world that they're creating there, which I certainly was, like I stuck with it and I'm so glad that I did. Um, as I said, it's not a game where you'd be like, this is like the best of class, 10 out of 10, go mm. play it. But if you like Lovecraft and you like tactics and you like narrative, then I really think that you should put this on a wish list and pick it up at some point. I think it was super, super cool. I really love the, it's got like this pulpy 50s comic art style too. That's just mm. suits the mood real, real good. Great color palette. Um, yep. And then, yeah, it's just got all of that Lovecraftian stuff like Enigma boards and sanity. And the coolest part is you get this dark matter substance, which you can mutate your crew and uh, get all these different powers. Like um, I had a science officer that had a second heart, which would pump and uh, slowly regenerate her last most her most recent wound mm. slowly regenerate that, which was super cool. Or you can get one where you like dude, gets a crab arm that just absolutely destroys fools. And yep. some of them are good. Some very. of them are bad. It's just, very. it's really good. Um, it is a very niche, uh, you know, um, you, you basically by watching the review, you will know whether you like it. Like if it's like, Oh, that looks kind of cool. Like you will, it'll be down for you as long as you can get over that difficulty hump. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're looking at it, you're like, oh, it's kind of like slow XCOM and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Don't pick it up. I don't think yeah. it'd be up your alley. Makes um, sense. But you know, I personally am a fan of divisive games. I think it's a good thing. Yep. Um, because if you try and please everyone, you probably aren't doing anything super special. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unexpected stirring abyss. Um, I think it's worth a check out if you're into those sorts of games review will be up very soon. Um, but yeah, super cool game really really like it that's awesome uh played more resident evil on stream today that game is horrific resident evil 7 for those of you this is your first podcast i'm playing through that on stream horrific game i'm thinking i'm about halfway through now my some of the boss battles are like big set piece battles as far as resident evil goes yeah they are just bullet sponges yeah they are and like I, it sounds silly to be complaining about not having enough bullets in a resident evil game but i think because this is first person and it's a bit more action oriented like mm. i am struggling with some of these boss fights and there's just no bullets around and i like i killed the the mama with mm-hmm. with the knife mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. because i had nothing else and i'm just running around in circles and it kind of detracted from those pieces a little bit yeah um, Resident Evil but 2 ultimately- spoils you a bit for how well resources are paced out to make, to give you yeah. the chance to fight bosses. Um, I'm, I'm also like five hours in and I just found the backpack. And it's like, oh my god, finally. Because I, finally. Like on today's stream, I streamed for three hours and I reckon about 40 minutes of that was trying, like traipsing back to inventory boxes yep. to dump things. Um, so, but I'm really enjoying it. Like, Way more than I thought. I would probably be putting it up very high in my Resident Evil list, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's w- one of those things where I'm like, oh, I wish I had played this when it came out. Why am I playing it years later? Uh, but super cool game. Really digging it. Yeah, awesome. And Hades. More Hades. I'm thinking about getting Hades. Probably on the Switch. Oh, yeah. oh it's pretty good on the Switch. It's pretty yeah. good on the Switch. There are yeah. a few frame dips, but ultimately I don't think it matters that yeah. much. Um, that game is just 
So good. I'm making it to Hades almost every run now. So I think one more stream, fingers crossed, and we'll we'll have that one done. And then we can move on to you know, the next roguelike game on the channel. Th this sounds so familiar. This sounds like what happened with Spelunky. One more stream and I'll finish it. Yeah. But, but at least you're more, having fun with more. this one as opposed to Spelunky where it very much felt like a slog. Oh, it was a slog, um, yeah. but I'm really enjoying Hades. I, I'm actually playing it on the Switch in my own time when yep. I have time away from reviewing stuff, which is not happening at the moment. But you know, I'll pick it up and do a run here or there and take my time and actually keep really the soak practice in the up. Lore. Yeah, because it's it's hard to soak that in while on stream a little Definitely. bit. But yeah, Definitely. love that game. Love that game. Well, that's yes. about does it. I think it does. Uh, in terms of stuff coming up on the channel, uh, we have the Izakaya at Home stream happening on Friday, Japan time, 6pm, uh, Friday the 11th of December. That's going to be me and Blasphemous Waffle is driving over from Yokohama. We're going to be hanging out with Ani-chan and Crispy Sando's cooking up a Japanese feast with some versions of that food for Ani. And we're going to be eating together, drinking beer, talking, talking mad stories and just hanging out with the community. Um, we also have the, uh, breakfast club awards happening before the end of the year. We're still working out a date, but, uh, it'd be awesome if everyone in the community could tune in for that. When it happens, make sure you jump on the discord. Uh, we'll be handing out fun little awards to everyone, a few prizes, get an acceptance speech ready. If you're a member of the community, cause you're probably going to win an award. <laughs> um, and then we're going to be finishing that off with a game of Blue's Clues, the second episode of Blue's Clues, which is a trivia competition extravaganza. Hooray. On the Twitch channel. Everyone loves video and game trivia. I really like so many video together. games. I love, I love putting video game trivia questions together. They're fun. Oh, I don't know if this is coming through the recording, but the gasoline truck is here again. Oh, it's I always, barely it's hear it. It's amazing. Um... Yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. i got a huge backlog of reviews. Haven is coming up next. You're so we in demand. It, there's, there's so many. There's just so many games. No, it's just that you are so in demand. You're so popular. Everyone wants I you wish. to review. I wish. If, if only I could get paid for this. Speaking of getting paid for this, make sure you jump onto the Patreon. If you do have a few bucks, throw it this way. We need to buy Blue a microphone. Get him a nicer <laughs> microphone. We need to pay Valen for his video edits. Um, we need, we need to buy some, like, just, I need a present. Just, I need a present. I need to buy myself cyberpunk. Um, <laughs> please, please don't, please don't donate for cyberpunk. I was joking. Anyway, that about wraps it up. So as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. <laughs>